Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Now, from BetQL, it's time for the Daily Tip with Michael Jenkins. Dang it, he's talented, and let's be honest, I go for ambition, not luck. And Chelsea Messenger. Don't kill the messenger, or the messenger will kill you. Hey, Dad, don't forget about me, the dunkster. Presented by BetMGM. Here we go. It is a Friday on the Daily Tip for BetQL presented by BetMGM. Hope you're having a great morning, even though it's early. Coming up on this Friday edition, we've got Thursday Night Football to talk about with the Jags and the Saints getting after it last night in the Big Easy. Oh, yeah. How about some playoff baseball? We'll do that with both the ALCS and NLCS at 620 at 640. Our first look at the best games in college football this weekend. Then during the 7 o'clock hour, our favorite picks for NFL Sunday. More baseball at 720. Eric Kratz from Foul Territory TV will join the show. Give us his postseason analysis. And finally, in the 8 o'clock hour, our best plays on the college gridiron before we delve into the NFL prop market and best bets at 845. Chelsea, I'm fired up. It's Friday. Man, we had some great playoff baseball games last night. A pretty decent Thursday night football game. How are you on this Friday? Yeah, yesterday was an amazing sports day because of the timing. We had an entree, or excuse me, an appetizer of playoff Mm. baseball. Got to watch Phillies Diamondbacks when I was at the gym. Then I get home from the gym, and I get to turn on Astros and Rangers, and also Thursday night football. It was the perfect pairing. I would choose that every time. Because doesn't it feel like Thursday night football comes on too late? Like, you need something before it. So, like, playoff baseball was, like, the perfect lead-in. Even though I feel like it was pretty much the main event. It was a great ending to uh, mm-hmm. that Phillies and Dimebacks game. Not for me, because I was on the Phillies, uh, but still a very exciting game. And I think a lot of people think when you see a low-scoring affair like that, that it's a boring game. Mm-mm. But I feel like it just heightens the tension even further. You know, it just makes runs feel that much more exciting. So we had very much a pitcher's duel in Phillies-Dimebacks, but I loved every minute of it. Minute of it. Uh, with the exception of when Craig Kimbrell came in the game. I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I, here it comes. I know. It uh, no, I was thinking about you watching that game. I was like, oh, my God, I'm sweating this game just because it was a great baseball game. And I thought, oh, man, Chelsea's on the Phillies. This is going to be tough. And it was a great – You're you make a very good point, which is – just if you're just looking at the box score, then you don't really understand how that game went down. But yes, it was a great baseball game. We will get to that. Again, we had some football as well. Before we do all of that, tell me about your best bets. 
Yeah, best bet was Ranger Suarez over his Asprop just based on the situation that the Phillies were in. And also the fact that Ranger Suarez has been fantastic in the postseason. Entering this mm -hmm. game, he had a 116 ERA and a 3-0 record. Now, he didn't get the win here, but still another uh, outing where he was incredible and he went over five innings. So that was a win. But uh, had the Phillies on the money line, I thought to myself, this is a cheap price for one of the teams that's been the hottest in the postseason. And yeah. they lost it in the bottom of the ninth on oh. a walk-off. So both of I my know. losses this week have come at the very end. Like I had a first five under that I lost with two outs and two strikes in the bottom of the fifth. And now I've lost my money line bet in the bottom of the ninth. So I am taking some solace and thinking, okay, at least I'm all over it. Like I'm not far yeah. off with my bet. Uh, but it does suck when you don't actually get a win. Yes, I hear you there. I, I thought it was the right side, too, and I almost played it myself. Sometimes that's just the way it goes. It's playoff baseball, but I, I did love the pick nonetheless. I got a little screwy yesterday. I had Bruins money line over the San Jose Sharks. That was a winner, but I played up the total in the Jags-Saints game to 47. Did not matter. There were 55 points scored in that game, so that went way over, and it's the first time all season long that a Saints game has gone under. So a bit of a bummer there, but I knew I was taking a chance with a two-leg parlay. That's why it's not always smart to bet those things. As for the dogster, he was on the stick and puck yesterday, which I always love to see. Blackhawks, Avs under six and a hook. Avs went four nothing. And Cody's Blues had St. Louis on the money line, but the Yotes win it six to two. So that was a bit of an upset there. For the week, Chelsea, Let's go. Chelsea, you are a 4-2-1. I'm 5-2-1. And, and the Donkster is 3-3. Three and three. It is a daily tip from BetQL presented by BetMGM. We will get into playoff baseball because in the chat, Matt is already talking about Brandon Fott. He was on the D-backs yesterday, so nice job, Matt. But we are going to talk football first, where the Jags, Beat the Saints in New Orleans, 31-24. The Jags were getting two and a half points. Jags plus 120 on the money line. Your total set at 41 and a half. The over hits easily. Game time at 24 in the fourth quarter when Trevor Lawrence looks for Christian Kirk over the middle. Lawrence fires. That's caught on the run. Christian Kirk inside the 20. He goes, and Christian Kirk takes the ball all the way to about the one-yard line. They're going to spot it as he thinks he scored the touchdown, and they're going to call it a touchdown now. It was a touchdown, 44-yard strike from Lawrence to Kirk to give the Saints the lead now, or the Jags is the lead, I should say. The Saints did have a chance to tie this thing up late. They get inside the 10-yard line, but Derek Carr throws four straight incompletions, including one that was dropped by Foster Moreau back in the end zone. Maybe not the perfect pass, but hit him in the hands. He dropped it, so that was a brutal end for the Saints. Regardless, Trevor Lawrence guts it out, wearing a knee brace for the first time in his career. And Chelsea, he gets his first ever win in the Superdome. He lost twice there. His only two losses ever when he was a quarterback at Clemson, and then he lost once there his rookie season. But nice job gutting it up, leading Jacksonville to a win. Yeah, maybe he can go over to Foster Moreau and say, thanks, brother, I needed this one. So I appreciate you dropping that pass in the end zone because it feels like that's the takeaway from the game. Like the ESPN headline is that Foster Moreau's in a, quote, dark place. 
So I feel bad for the kid, but people yeah. were making this catch out to be or this non catch out to be like it was just some kind of softball pass. Like it was, he had to jump for it a little bit. Yes, uh, so he did, but still, he is an NFL, you know, athlete and he should probably be making catches that hit him in the hands. I think that's usually the benchmark. If it hits you in the hands, you should probably be catching it. Yes. But uh, this was an exciting game. And I think a lot of it was the Saints' mistakes. Uh, we had um, Derek Carr throw a bad pick for, um, I believe it was a pick six in this game, uh, despite throwing 301 yards. Alvin Kamara had a huge game here in the props world. We were all celebrating uh, over his receiving prop. It was set at a very low uh, 30 and a half for him. He was the leading receiver in this game. Had 12 catches for 91 yards. At least their offense is showing some signs of life. Do you think there are any takeaways for the Saints in this game that are worth hanging your hat on and saying, okay, well, we have some good things to work on or work with here? I would say if you are a Saints backer, you just follow the NFL. The one thing that at least I was fooled about early in the season is I thought the Saints offense would be very productive because they have Michael Thomas, because they have Chris Olave, because they have Alvin Kamara. Like they have weapons and Derek Carr really hasn't been the quarterback that they wanted him to be, but he did have a good game last night. And yeah, you had that drop. And, and I agree. Foster Moreau is a new Orleans kid. Like he's from new Orleans place for the saints. And, and it wasn't the easiest pass probably should have caught it. But if you're looking for a bright side, it's that all right, an offense that has been just completely in the tank, not able to move the football at all, had a chance to tie this game at 31 late because of their offense against a very good Jags team. So just maybe moving forward, we'll start to see some life in their offensive production because thus far, it really hasn't been there. I do think we could have seen it coming. The fact that they were due for some positive regression because going into yeah. this game, they were terrible at converting in the red zone. Uh, their red zone touchdown percentage was let's see, I think it was like 38%, something crazy like that. One of the worst percentages in all of football. That's right. Uh, ranking 28th in the NFL, converting on only 37% of their trips to the red zone. So like they're moving the ball okay. It's just they weren't scoring touchdowns when they got to the red zone. And again, that was the problem last night. So now we need to decide if this is a problem moving forward or just an anomaly that will correct itself over time. Meanwhile, I was kind of surprised at the defense, like because on the yep. flip side, the New Orleans defense had been really good at limiting opponents in the red zone, one of the better red zone defenses, but yet the Jags marched down the field, first drive of the game, and it looked like uh, a piece of cake. And the Jags, of course, score 31 points in this game. Uh, so do we think the Jags offense is that good, or do we think that the Saints defense was not quite as good as advertised? I think it's it's probably a little bit of both. Dennis Allen is a very mm -hmm. good defensive head coach. That's what he is known for. And the Saints defense has been really good all season long. This was, to me, I, I was just impressed with the Jags. And I was impressed with Trevor Lawrence going out and playing the way that he did. He's clearly not 100%, again, wearing a knee brace for the first time in his life. And led the team in rushing, by the way. He had 59 oh. yards on the ground. So when you've got a quarterback who is – not at full strength, who goes out, guts out a win, then I think that, A, you just, you're just happy to get the dub, but B, that sort of sets the tone. And if you listen to the 
The Jags players afterwards, they said, that's our leader. We get a lot of inspiration from Trevor Lawrence just because of how hard he plays the game, how tough he is. And for him to go out and play the way he did, knowing that he could have absolutely sat out and it would have been justifiable. And he said, no, I'm going to go. I think mentally it just makes you stronger as a team. You just have to rally in that locker room and feel like you're in it together. And that sounds very cliche, but not all locker rooms are like that. The Jags are on the same page. And one of those teams that, look, this was a team last year that came really close to beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. So they have the talent on that roster. Jags are impressive to me. I know it's New Orleans, but ultimately, as long as you're picking up wins in the NFL, you're doing it right. I'm wondering just how hurt Trevor Lawrence was because I was flipping back and forth between this and the baseball game. But like when I saw him, he was running pretty good. So I don't know if he like wasn't as hurt as they were letting on. Maybe there was some gamesmanship there or Mm -hmm. he was really good at running through the pain because usually when a quarterback is completely injured or their leg is completely injured, they're not going to scramble around like what we saw from Joe Burrow uh, at the start of the season. Like he didn't scramble at all because he was really that hurt. So I don't know what to make of Trevor Lawrence moving forward. I feel like he's fine. And now he gets a few extra days of rest going into next week. So maybe the Jags are back. And listen, the AFC South is totally winnable by just about anybody, especially now that the Colts don't have Anthony Richardson for the rest of the season. He elected to get that shoulder surgery. Feels like the AFC South, once again, is wide open. The Jags were the preseason favorites. Yeah, also, I need to mention our guy, Travis Etienne. We liked his touchdown prop yesterday at plus 115. He had two. I, yeah, I well, liked it a lot. I should have played it. Yeah, all right. You know, well, I, I liked it a lot. He had 53 yards, two touchdowns. So I'm sort of bummed I didn't play that. I was all over that. But when you talk about Trevor Lawrence and playing injured, I always wonder how much of that is, okay, maybe they're not that injured or – look, I I got an injection or I took something here and I don't feel it, but I'm going to feel it after the game. It's like yesterday, I finally went to the CVS and picked up my pain pills that my doctor gave me for my cracked rib. And these are pretty strong. I feel a little loopy right now. And yesterday, yesterday, I was like, I feel great. I might be, I might be healed up in a week. I'm feeling good. And then of course, by the end of the night, I'm like, oh, oh no, that's don't go out and do anything stupid. That was clearly the medication masking the pain. So I wonder if it's one of those situations where, look, we can give you something here. We'll shoot you up. You're not going to make it any worse, but this is going to hurt like hell when you're done. Maybe because they do have stuff like that. And Jenks, it's kind of like you're a method actor. You get to really delve in (laughs) to what it feels like as an actual football player. Uh, the people listening out there, Jinx is not making this up. He has an actual cracked rib that he is doing do. the show with. Uh, the football guy of the BeckQL network. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think, like, are there injections you could get? Like, I know they used to do this. Are oh, they yeah. expensive? Are they only reserved for football players? Like, you got no. a show to do, too. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can get one for the rib now. I have had, I had a... This has turned into medical talk, but I had, I had an inflamed elbow for, oh my God, for like six months. And I was like this, and I was trying just basic like rehab and taking just basic medication. And I was like, this is killing me. And so finally the girl goes, you know what, let me bring in the doctor and have a look at this. And he's like, you just need a cortisone shot. So he brings in cortisone, shoots me up. And for a day and a half, it hurt about five times worse. I'm like, oh my God. But then after that initial pain, amazing. 
My elbow has been awesome ever since. So cortisone is used, I think, a lot for some of these injuries. If you're, You can't do it on a regular basis because long-term it'll do some damage. You don't want to get a cortisone shot every couple of weeks. But every now and then it can do wonders for you. So I, I am here to try all of the medical experiments beforehand. I don't think I've ever gotten a chance to test out all the like great medications out there for pain relief. <laughs> I had an epidural when uh, I was pregnant, but I couldn't feel my body at all. So I had to let it wear off and then give birth naturally. So uh, maybe one day. Well, I feel like that's about 80 times harder than having a cracked rib. So maybe you're right there with me, Chelsea. Coming up next here on the show, a duel in the desert and a tussle in Texas. We're going to look at how both playoff series unfolded last night in Major League Baseball. It is the Daily Tip for Beck UL, presented by our friends of MGM. Come on back. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip, presented by Bet MGM <laughs> on the Bet QL Network. Welcome back to The Daily Tip, presented by Bet MGM, with Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger on the BetQL Network. Welcome back. Turn it up. Today, tip you Good morning. It's Friday. Coming up shortly, the Phillies look to take command of the NLCS in the desert without getting snake bit. Chelsea, I was reading this the other day, and so I wanted your thoughts. Earlier in the year, Madison Bumgarner, Mad Bomb, was pitching for the D-backs, and he was not good. <laughs> he was not good at all. And so he was eventually just... Dropped by the team, cut, right? They just let him go because he did not win a game. His ERA was like 10. And we know this because we faded him and won some money on him. However, he is eligible if for some reason the Diamondbacks were to win the World Series, he is eligible to get a World Series ring. This has happened a few times before. So my question to you is, and look, he's he had a great career in San Francisco, won what three World Series. He was awesome, just not great at the end of his career in Arizona. But I don't think the Diamondbacks should have won the World Series. But if they did, do you think Madison Bumgarner deserves a ring? Yeah, I think so. Uh, even yeah. though he wasn't posting the best numbers, everybody on the team makes a difference for one reason or another. Because even if mm-hmm. he wasn't giving them a win, he was at least eating up innings. So everybody helped in some little way, uh, even if it's like a trickle-down sort of way. So maybe it didn't look like he was helping them much, but every fifth day he was eating innings and he was saving the rest of the young arms. Because look at Brandon Fott. He didn't have to pitch a whole season. He had very limited experience going into this postseason game, and usually that's a good thing for young pitchers. Look at the Rays. It feels like Mm -hmm. their young pitchers who are really good just tail off at the end of the season. We saw it with Mm -hmm. uh, Yuri Perez, too. They are very careful with innings limits on some of those young arms. So Mm -hmm. in a roundabout way, it does feel like Madison Bumgarner at least contributed to the success of the Arizona Dimebacks. Yes, you kind of have to make a case for it, but still, uh-huh. that's why they give rings to everybody who played even one inning for the Major League team. Yeah. Okay. Here's one more. 
I'm not going to go down a list here, but this is an article I'm reading about this. And it says the most famous case of this was in 2014. You remember Dan Ugla? He played four Mm -hmm. games with the Giants, went one for 11, made two errors, was cut. Giants beat the Royals in seven. When it was over, the Giants reached out and said, what's your ring size? You're getting a ring. I guess he could say, look, I contributed. Maybe it wasn't much. But I got a hit for the team. I was a part of that team, and I'm going to wear this ring around. I think I would. Well, that's just how the rules are. Like, they do this for everybody. Like, it's not a case-by-case basis. It's literally everybody on the team. If you played even an inning, you get a ring, which I do appreciate because it's a long season. Like, this is not like football where somebody just plays it down. There are 162 games in a season for Major League Baseball, so it surely takes – a lot of people and not just the guys who are active on like the postseason mm-hmm. roster. It takes, you know, the guys that are the September call-ups or somebody who's just making a spot start. So I think that's why they do it. Even though, you know, like Dan Ugla, like doesn't conjure up some great memories. Even though I do <laughs> right. remember he had ginormous forearms. Like you could always tell when he's coming to the bat because he looked like Popeye. He had the biggest forearms I think I have seen of anybody who was I think he was short too, because obviously there are guys like Adolis Garcia who was just huge overall, but it just yeah. it looked out of place because his former forearms were so big and he was kind of a short guy. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at this. <laughs> I'm looking at this guy's forearms right now, but you're right. He does have they massive stand forearms. Out. There's a, yeah, there's a whole Reddit thread on it. It's one of the first things that pops up. Like, man, I was a little curious about this Dan Ugla guy. What is he doing to get his forearms to look like that? So. <laughs> Seriously. The lifting community? They're probably yes, the li- clue us in. Bro. What are your forearm yeah. exercises? I'm reading that he does 50 sets of 50 wrist curls. This was a quote from an interview. Is this speculation or is this true? Someone is actually asking the Reddit community about <laughs> the wrist workouts that Dan Ugla may or may not have done during you can find anything on Reddit. So that's a good call back there, Chelsea. Let's talk about what happened last night in the desert. NLCS game three, the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies two to one Diamondbacks plus one Oh five on the money line total set at nine under hits easily. And this is what playoff baseball is all about. Phillies take the lead in the top of the seventh when Bryce Harper scores on a wild pitch Arizona ties it back up in the bottom half, which leads us to the bottom of the ninth. Tied at one, bases loaded, two outs, Cattell Marte at the plate. Kimbrell deals at 0-1, that's into center field, it's down! In the score is Smith, and the Diamondbacks walk off the Phillies in game three! Cattell Marte takes a victory lap! Cattell Marte coming through in the clutch call, courtesy of TVS and Marte with that game-winning walk-off, part of a three-for-five evening. And, man, this game was so tight throughout, and the Diamondbacks get back in this series by the slimmest of ways, but this was an exciting baseball game. Yeah, unless you're a Phillies fan and you had to watch Craig Kimbrell come in for the bullpen, you're like, oh, no. I don't know if it's fair or not, and I don't even know what his numbers were entering this game. But it feels like Craig Kimbrell is one of those relievers 
that you always get nervous about because he mm -hmm. has a history of giving it up in these big time situations. Once upon a time, he was dominant back when he was with the Braves. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, he was not so dominant. He loaded up the bases and you kind of knew it was coming. In fact, I was watching this at the gym and I did my last set as they had like two runners aboard. And I was like, uh oh, I'm just going to go ahead and turn this off and accept my loss. And what do you know? He was the one that kind of laid the groundwork for the Dimebacks to score that run. But you do need to give credit where credit is due. And the Dimebacks hanging around uh, in this win because that's kind of what the Dimebacks have done all season long. They've been great at base running. They have been mm -hmm. fast. And they have been good at kind of playing small ball because uh, there were a couple big steals there and a couple of great defensive yeah. plays that kind of kept them in this game. And also Brandon Fott was incredible. The rookie pitcher who I don't think a lot of people believed could shut down this Phillies offense. I sure yeah, didn't. Awesome. To quote myself, I don't think that this Phillies lineup is going to turn into pumpkins just because they're away from Philadelphia. And what do they do? They turned into pumpkins. It felt like every single at bat, there was a bad swing. They were swinging at some mm -hmm. pitches that were out of the strike zone. So I don't know how Philly regroups after this. One would think that this bunch that has been so confident all postseason long, you know, just kind of needs a little gentle nudge to wake back up. Because didn't they lose a game to the Braves? And then the next game, they roared back with a commanding win in a yes. very lopsided series. So maybe this is the nudge that the Phillies needed to get back on the winning side. Yeah, I think they're going to be fine. I'm going to be back to the Phillies' money line tonight. And I will say it worked out perfectly for Arizona at the end of this game. If there is one guy in that lineup in this spot that you probably wanted at the plate, it's Marte because listen to what he's done in the postseason. He's hitting 382, has four doubles, two home runs, five RBI in eight games. And going back to the last time the D-backs were in the playoffs, he has a 12-game postgame hitting streak or postseason hitting streak. So, man, he has just been on fire at the plate. And when he came up there, I thought, oh, this is, this is perfect for the D-backs. Yeah, he's a good hitter. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. probably don't know of him just because he plays for the Dimebacks, but he's been a great hitter his entire career. Maybe the only other guy would be Corbin Carroll because he's been on fire for the postseason too, but Marte is more of a veteran presence because Corbin Carroll is still a young guy. I think a lot of people forget that just because he's had such a great year. Yeah. And also another move that proved big in this one is that the Diamondbacks made that trade for, who is it, Paul Seawald, the closer? from the Mariners and yep. he was big in this game. So I think that was a, a trade that not a whole lot of people thought was a good one because during the season season, Seawald wasn't uh, super dominant, but he was dominant yep. here and that's what you paid for uh, a closer who can come in and shut the door. Something that Craig Kimbrell certainly did not do. Game four is tonight at 8.07 in Phoenix with the D-backs trying to tie this bad boy up. Let's go to the ALCS. We have another series that has gone back and forth a little bit now. The Astros have tied this series at two. They crushed the Rangers last night, 10-3. to three. Astros minus 105 on the money line. Total set at nine and a hook. The over hits. And those Houston bats have come alive. Jose Abreu. Call courtesy of Fox. He hits a monster three-run shot in the fourth inning. Jose Altuve 
three for four, three runs scored. Also had that sensational play at second base. Don't know if you guys saw that. Jordan Alvarez goes two for four with three RBI. Chaz McCormick adds a two-run home run as well. And once again, the Road Warriors that are the Houston Astros, they love playing at Globe Life Park. They have gone eight and one against the Rangers there in this season alone. I don't know what it is about the Strohs, but keep them away from home and they're going to keep winning. This has to be absolutely maddening for Rangers fans. When you yes. see your bitter rival come into town and take all of the games that they play at Globe yeah. Field, because we saw this in the regular season too. The Astros, for some reason, love playing in Arlington or wherever, whatever suburb this ballpark is at. I believe it is Arlington. <laughs> uh, it. But every si single time Altuve comes up to bat, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is the best hitter in baseball. It just feels like there are pitches that aren't even in the strike zone that, you know, he just makes it work. Three for four in this game. Of course, he had that uh, big home. Oh, it, maybe it was a double. Oh, it was a double uh, to start off the game and really setting the tone. When that is your leadoff man, it really sets the tone for the rest of the lineup. And the rest of the lineup doesn't need a whole lot of uh, help because of the home run hitters they have. Jordan Alvarez, always a threat. And then, of course, Jose Abreu, you just heard, had a big three-run bomb here. Jenks, I'm very tempted to just continue mm -hmm. to play the overs in these games, even though tonight we have the best pitching matchup probably since game one of this series. Because last night we had a great recipe for an over because uh, both teams yeah. had back end of the rotation guys starting. Both of these lineups are hot because that is the other thing I noticed in this series. Even when guys are recording outs, it's like they're flying out to the warning track. The amount right. of good connection we have seen in this series, all of these hitters are seeing the ball so well. So I feel like the over still the play, even with um, a great starting pitching matchup but doesn't feel like as strong of a play as it did last night. The overhit, what, the fourth inning? Yeah, and I'm so mad because one of my handicaps was first five over. I was That was my one of my favorite plays, and then I got chicken, didn't play it, and it hit easily. So I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but you're right. We get more of a traditional classic pitching matchup. I believe it's Jordan Montgomery going for – Rangers, Justin mm -hmm. Verlander going for the Astros. We'll preview that game coming up later on in the show. But let me ask you this. is it, How much of this do you think is, is mental? Do you think the Astros can get in the Rangers' heads here? Because the Rangers had won seven straight in the postseason, unblemished, and here come the Astros. They go into Houston. They win the first two games of this series, and then the Astros come into Globe Life like they've done all season long. Not only do they win – on the Rangers' home turf, but they even up the series. Mentally, I feel like this is going to be a real test for the Rangers because the Astros have been there, done that. They're not going to be phased by this moment. Right, but also the Rangers have been through some stuff as well. Like, That's look at true. their season. What a roller coaster they've had to Jacob deGrom getting injured, Max Scherzer getting injured. But the Rangers' Achilles heel coming into this series was their pitching depth. They didn't have a yep. ton of it. And now that we're in a seven-game series, we're starting to see it. So I think it's not a matter of confidence or mentality. It's just the fact that the Rangers' pen is just getting worn down. They have some uh, good relievers at the top end, but when you get to the other guys, it kind of falls off a cliff. Like Andrew Heaney didn't even last an inning in this game. Uh, so they have just had to throw a ton of pitchers out here. They're getting worn down. So I think it's more of that. We knew that this was their weakness coming in, and now it's starting to show.
Yeah, we're starting to see it. And I will say this. I'm really excited about seeing this pitching matchup. I, I'd like to see just a classic two hurdlers going at it. And both of these guys, Verlander and Montgomery, have been great, particularly in the postseason. Jordan Montgomery has been unbelievable since coming over. I think he's had one bad outing in his last seven. But it feels like to me that this is a real tipping point because if the Astros, certainly whoever wins this game is going to have a three games to two advantage. But man, I feel like the Rangers just mentally need to get on the board tonight and get a dub because the Astros, again, have that postseason experience. But you make a good point too. There are players in that Rangers lineup who have been there before. So maybe I'm overstating the pressure that will be on Texas. Either way, you're getting me excited about playoff baseball. Well, I do think the pressure is going to be immense. If this is a Rangers team that had a 2 nothing series lead, they go home and they blow it, now the pressure is really starting to build. Oh, man, I'm ready for more baseball tonight. Coming up next on the show, will this be the year that Penn State takes the Big Ten crown instead of the Buckeyes or the Wolverines? A massive, massive matchup at the shoe highlights our college football preview, and that's coming up on the Daily Tip from MQL, presented by BetMGM. Stay right there. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Let's get back to the Daily Tip with Chelsea Messenger and Michael Jenkins presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Coming up shortly, everyone we've talked to, and I mean everyone we've talked to, says, take Penn State in the points, take Penn State in the points. Does that mean we should look at the Buckeyes instead? College football in just moments. Chelsea, the Michigan Wolverines potentially in hot water because the NCAA is investigating whether or not the Wolverines have been illegally stealing signs from opponents by sending scouts to to their opponents' games in season, which you cannot do. That is illegal. There is a specific rule that you cannot do that. Sign stealing as far as that sort of happens in, in football from time to time, but this is much more egregious, and so there is an investigation going on. Jim Harbaugh says he has no idea about any of this. He says he's going to cooperate fully, and this. This report was initially released by Yahoo Sports, and it's centering on one of the assistants or one of the guys who is just part of the Michigan staff. And if you want to get really in deep to the whole conspiracy theories or how this may or may not go down, that the guy in question is a former Marine. So, of course, the thought is, oh, he's a former Marine. He has all sorts of tactics he can use in order to spy, in order to steal signs. So we'll see how this plays out. It's not a great look. Nothing has been proven. But normally, like I, being a college football fan, we've seen this happen before. Like last year, we played TCU, and we were convinced because there was a tight end who used to play for Texas, and now he played or did play for TCU the next year. And it was like they knew our plays, and maybe they did because they had a former tight end of ours. Who knows? But it wasn't some sort of grandiose 
grand scheme where TCU was cheating or anything like that. It was just sort of a thought, nothing to it. That happens all the time in college football. This is different when the NCAA says we are conducting an official investigation. Also, when it feels like Michigan has already been on the hot seat from the NCAA before. Like, do yes. you think there is any sprinkling of this where they're like, well, we only got you a little bit for that cheeseburger incident. Now it's time <laughs> to really get you. Because yeah. the NCAA feels like that type of organization where they would be vindictive and be like, well, listen, we're going to get you for something. We don't know what it is, but we'll find something. But also imagine being a Marine and it being used against you. Like this guy probably never thought that that would be the case. Like what? I was a Marine. I fought for yeah. our country. I don't even know what Marines do. Like, do they fight for our country or do they just do like yes. cool things? No, well, they do cool things, but yeah, they <laughs> there's no no question about it. They fight very hard and very valiantly for our country. So if you're gonna get a guy to spy, you wanna you wanna you wanna have a guy who has some military training. That'll help you. But still, I mean, who knows how true this is? That's, and then there was some, that sucks. Th you're like, yeah, you're uh, a marine. You are the probably the the problem here. It's like, what? Been serving our country only for you to point the finger at me and say I'm the problem, Jenks? What do marines do? I don't even know. Well, they like anyone else. The, the marines are probably the most. I would say they probably take on the most responsibility or the hardest tasks when it comes to actual military engagement. I mean, Marines are sent into whether it's land, sea, whatever Marines do a little bit of everything. And they do the, they do the very, very difficult work. Bill just put this in the chat first in last out. Like the Marines have an exceptionally difficult job. Whenever you're talking about particularly on the ground, like the Marines are the guys that are going in there and doing not that any part of the military doesn't work its ass off and protect our country and, you know, show the bravery that I wish I had, but Marines in particular are known for their toughness and for doing the most difficult tasks. I didn't know if they were land or sea based. Like that's really all I know about like the armed forces is like, are they the land people or are they the sea people? Cause the main thing I know about oh. the Marines is that they had that sick commercial that had like God smack to it. And I was like, God, that's a sick soundtrack. Do you remember the one I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I do. And they make you, they make, it pumps you up and you're like, I want to be a Marine. I want to be a Marine. And then I look <laughs> at myself and I'm like, you could never be a Marine, Michael. You, I mean, you had a cat sitting, you have a on, cat your sitting on your lap. I had a cat on my lap. I'm like, mm, look at my little cat. I could be a Marine. I could be a Marine. I have a cracked rib and I'm holding a cat. I think I could go in first. No, you don't want me. You want me to. You want me sitting on the sidelines talking about it. Like, hey, listen, give Jenkins a script to read on the radio and let him do that. But keep him off the grid. Keep him off the battleground. You don't want me there. Yeah, I will continue to read my subscription to Cat Fancy and sit here on the couch. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't realize that's why they scratch. Hey, how's the war going, guys? You know, yeah, I, I would not be... I would not be built for that. There will be a battle of sorts this weekend at the shoe. Let's get into college football, Chelsea. We got to talk about it. Number seven, Penn State at number three, Ohio State. Buckeyes laying four and a half. Buckeyes minus 190 on the money line. Penn State plus 155. Total set at 45 and a half. I do like Penn State plus four and a half. I feel like you like Penn State plus four and a half. This is finally a team, I believe, that is built to beat the Buckeyes. And I worry about that Buckeyes offense just not being good enough to keep up 
with the Nittany Lions, even though I do think we'll see uh, maybe more of a defensive battle than we think because that Penn State defense in particular is very good. But when you hear everyone on one side, I mean, everyone we've talked to, including Double D, of course, he's jacked for Penn State this weekend. That makes me nervous. I haven't heard a single person say, let's take a look at Ohio State, treating Ohio State like they're FIU or something. Right. It just, it does feel like a public dog though, doesn't it? Where everybody is on one side. I haven't heard a single person beyond the Ohio State side of things laying the four and a half because you also are getting some points in this matchup. It's over a yeah. field goal. If you do think it's going to be a defensive battle where it's going to be a little bit lower scoring points at a premium, usually you take the underdog just based on pure theory. Uh, talking about that Penn State defense, they have the best stop rate in NCAA football. Uh, defense has been better than I had thought because all I hear about is Drew Aller and how this offense is so good, how they have one of the best tackles in all of college football on the offensive line. Uh, but the defense has been solid as well. So we'll see if they really let Drew Aller throw the ball down the field in this one. I'm not sure if they'll need to, though. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a play for me just because I have that sneaking suspicion that if everybody is on one side – Usually the books clean up in that situation. So I don't think it's ever Ohio State for me. Like in no circumstance yeah. am I laying four and a half with Ohio State here. It just may be a no play, which if you're in the betting world, you know the difference between that, a no play and like saying, okay, take the other side. So if I were to play this one, I would play Penn State plus four and a half, but I don't think it's going to be a play for me. Penn State getting 56% of the money, 66% of the tickets, and yet the Buckeyes minus four and a half is a four-star best bet from BetQL. Make of that what you will. Let's go to Tuscaloosa. Number 17, Tennessee at number 11, Alabama. The Tide laying eight and a half. They're minus 350 on the money line. Tennessee is plus 260, total set at 48 and a half. Chelsea, I actually like Tennessee here, and – I believe that Jalen Milrow has improved as a quarterback as the season has gone on, but they still have problems on that offensive line. That Bama offensive line can not be had because they're still very good, but you can get pressure on the quarterback. And if you can pressure Jalen Milrow and at least contain him a little bit and make him throw into the flat, make him throw sort of in the middle of the field as opposed to throwing deep, you can make him make some mistakes. I know when you think of Tennessee, you, you tend to think of their offense and – and how well that they they perform for the majority of the season. But it's their defense that I think is the key here. I think this is too many points. Bama wins, Tennessee covers. I like the under here. If you're going to talk mm. about the defenses, why not lean towards the under here, sitting at 48 and a half. Tennessee's defense has really been their calling card this year. Like you said, top 15 in just about every metric and really good at getting after the quarterback. Top 10 in sack rate. I think the edge that Alabama has in this one is the explosive pass. Uh, Jalen Miller at least can get the ball down the field. Joe Milton's really struggled in his accuracy in mm -hmm. some of these deep passes. So maybe that's the one edge that Alabama has over Tennessee here. But still, I don't want to lay eight and a half with Alabama and what I think is going to be a close scoring affair. Uh, so I will ride with the under here. And also, I don't know if you saw this, but Nick Saban was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. And even said mm -hmm. this, he said, the way to stop a, an offense that likes to go fast is to play ball control and hold on to the ball as much as you can on the yeah. offense. So when you hear an offense talk about ball control mm. and holding on to the football, me thinks 
I smell an under. So I will do that. Under 48 and a half between Tennessee and Alabama. I saw an old clip yesterday. I, I love when coaches sort of break the mold a little bit and they kind of go off script and show some personality. And if you ever watch Nick Saban's show, like his weekly coaches show in Alabama, he'll do that. Mm -hmm. I, I forget who it was. Someone called in. He's like, yeah, hi, Jeff. What? Yeah, I know. What? Mm -hmm. We're definitely going to work on the long ball. Like he was just basically trolling him a little bit. Like, I know what you're going to say. You call in every week. And then I saw an old clip of Mike Ditka when he was head coach of the Bears. And some guy called in and called him a baby. And Mike Dick was like, oh. oh, yeah? Well, here's my address. Here's where I'm going to be. Why don't you just come on down? You tell me when and where, and I'll kick your ass. And, I, and everybody just started I direct quote. And I was like, that, <laughs> it's incredible. It's, people forget Mike Dick was not just, you know, Iron Mike was a hell of a football player and a big dude, a tight end in the National Football League. I would not mess with Iron Mike. Never call him a baby. Finally, Chelsea, which one of these games interests you most? I'll let you pick here. Duke, Florida State, or Utah, USC? Well, since we have some question marks uh, regarding Riley Leonard, the quarterback at Duke, I don't think I want to play that one just yet. Uh, even though I would oh. lean towards the points, Duke getting the 14 and a half over Florida State, I'll go to Utah and USC. I'm going to be playing USC here, laying the seven points. Feels like a good buy low spot on USC. Let's look at the larger yeah. sample size here. Caleb Williams had one bad game against Notre Dame. It was on the road. It was not the greatest of weather. Now they're back at home. And I know this Utah defense is very stout, but the Utah offense, I don't think, can go tit for tat with USC here. I think this is a great spot for USC to get back on the right side. I like it as well. Coming up next here on the show, we're moving up a level, and we're going to make our favorite plays in the NFL this weekend. You know what I'm talking about. It's time to play pick six. She is Chelsea Messenger. I'm Michael Jenkins. We're going to do that next on a daily tip from BetQL. It is presented by BetMGM, the king of parlays. Hour two coming your way next. Hope you're having a great Friday morning. For more, listen to The Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern on the BetQL Network, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts.